Today, we talk to the chairman of Publicis New York and best-selling author of Grit to Great, how perseverance, passion, and pluck can take you from ordinary to extraordinary. She is widely respected advertising executive has worked on some of today's most iconic campaigns, and we're going to be talking about a few of those because I have known her for a number of years, and I absolutely love her, a really great friend, and I'm honored to have her on today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, the chairman of Publicis New York, Linda Kaplan Thayer. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Linda, how did a gal from the Bronx go on to run one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world? Well, I got to say, growing up in the Bronx, I, I really didn't have much to work with except my own stamina and perseverance. I didn't. I went to public schools, went to a public college, city college. And ultimately, city college gave me something that no Ivy League school could, namely an acceptance letter, but <laughs> I was thrilled. I, I had to work for everything I got, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it happened that I persevered, and it's one of the reasons I was so passionate about writing a book about yeah, grit and yeah, why it's so important. Yeah, you know, that gets to it. You know, it's like I love the way you said that someone gave me something I could refuse acceptance letter. You know, just getting someone to say <laughs> yes, I mean, that's a big thing, isn't it? Just, just getting them on the phone, just getting them to acknowledge, just give me, give me a freaking chance. That's kind of what the grit is all about, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, when I applied for my first job, I was in theater for a long time, and it wasn't until my late twenties. And when I decided that I really needed to eat, I love theater, but I love eating even more. I, I literally did nothing but make cold calls for like three weeks, and not one person, only one person, answered the phone and agreed to an interview with somebody very kind at J. Walter Thompson. And it's the only reason I got my first job. And uh, I, you know, my first day on the job, I wrote, uh, you know, all these dealer texts for Kodak, something which you know a lot about. Yep, I sure do. Former CEO of Kodak. Yep. And I wrote all these dealer texts for K- Kmart in, in store, you know, PA system thing. And I stayed up all night and I came back the next morning and the, my boss said to me, these are terrible. You don't even mention the name of the camera or where they, what aisle to go to. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll just go back and do it again. And as I'm about to walk out, she says, you know, Linda, you're going to have your own agency one day. And I said, oh, because you saw some incredible talent in what I had written. She said, no, I saw nothing. But what I did see is somebody who's very resilient and who's not, who's not falling, you know, like a puddle on the floor. And that resiliency is what's going to make you successful. And boy, was she right, and you know it as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's not about brilliance or anything like that. It's just good old-fashioned sweat equity. Yep. I call it being relentless. Just just never giving up and going and going, you know, because at least like unlike you, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not the brightest person. I'm not the best-looking person. But, man, I'm not going to give up. Oh, uh, well, no, no, no. I would argue about best-looking. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you got something in that department. Well, let me – so is that – is being – relentless, resilient, you know, pulling your, is that grit? What's grit? When you talk about this book, what's the essence of, and I love the name, by the way, I love this name. And so what's grit? 
what is grit? You know, when we started looking at research, we started saying, why did Robin Corral and I, who, you know, created the Capital Bail Group with me, and how did we become one of the fastest growing agencies in the country in under three years? We realized that uh, we didn't have the it factor. We weren't brilliant, and we didn't have virtuoso talent. And we started looking at other people who did not have the it factor. For example, Colin Powell, mm-hmm. C-minus student in college. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, you mentioned in the book, too. Yeah. yeah, didn't make his high school varsity basketball team. <laughs> Can uh, you believe I mean, that's, re- that, that's almost like, are you I, kidding me? When I read that in your book, I, 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 right, I seriously, right. I went, bullshit. And right. I went to Google. I, went, I, I thought maybe you had your facts wrong, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and Steven Spielberg could not get into the first time, first three times he applied to film school. And Jack Ma, as we all know, couldn't even get a job at KFC as a server when he graduated college. So, I mean, the list just goes on. So, what is it about these people? The new groundbreaking research has shown that, and we all know hard work is very important, of people who are born prodigies, you know, Mensa IQs, you know, uh, incredible musical genius, whatever, only 2% of them ever amount to anything. Yeah. Anything, but 98% of the world's most successful people possess not the grit, not the it factor, but what's called the grit factor. What Robin and I is we and we we created a grit quiz with a really brilliant psychologist that we divided and we made it an acronym, so it's very easy for people to remember: grit, guts, resilience, initiative, and tenacity. And those seem to be the components that are really the formula for success. And the best thing about grit is you don't have to be born with it. You can develop it when you're 8, 18, or 88. Picasso did his best paintings in his 80s, and most of our kids today are going to live into their hundreds, so there's no rush. You know, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So you have time to develop your grit, and one of the things we like to do in the book, we have a lot of grit builders, is how can you make your grit better? How can you develop that potential? Um, And you know what? It's not that hard. Uh, to learn how to work harder. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you're exactly right. You just got to do it, and that's and that's one of the things I really like. You you got so many nuggets, and you just gave us a whole bunch of them. There's so many different tangents. I want to take off of just what you just said. But here's a quote that you've got in the book, and I'll read from it. It's the notion that everyone has to be Mark Zuckerberg and make it before they're 25. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. The goal could take 5, 15, or 30 years. I also beg people to stop dreaming about what they want to do. When you, when you look at people who are dreamers, they rarely put in the effort to wake up, stop dreaming, and put it to work every day. I love that. So th- there's, there's hope exactly. for all these young millennials, all right, because there's a lot of them now that are coming into the workforce, and they think that they have to – they think that if they haven't done it in the first year or two after college – they're a loser. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It it, it 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 is crazy. There is this under thirty hype, and it is causing research that we looked at tremendous amount of anxiety from young you know from millennials who are oh, I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet, and I'm twenty four. It's like, yeah. are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, there are the the occasional one in a billion, but the fact is. We are a culture that has become enamored with what we what seems to be overnight YouTube sensations. Until you start looking at, look, I worked for a man for years, for almost 20 years, who wanted desperately to become a, a best-selling novelist. He never once dreamt about it. What he did is every morning before he came to work as a creative director, he wrote from 4 o'clock in the morning to 8 in the morning, and we all thought the guy was crazy. Yeah. He did this seven days a week. He did it for 21 years. We're on a plane actually 
Jeffrey, you'll like this, going to a Kodak meeting. Oh, wow. He turned to me yeah. and he said, he was 40 years old, so he turned to me and said, Linda, and he, by the way, no technology writes everything longhand. He said, Linda, I finally figured out how to write a bestseller. Short chapters, twist at the end, but he gave me the whole formula. I said, what's the name of this book? He said, well, I created a character called Alex Cross <laughs> in this first book. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and 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 you know, we all know that this guy Jim now is the famous James Patterson, the number one selling author in the world. We tell He's a, a machine. He is a machine. Him. Yeah, a machine. He's a machine, but you but you know what? You talk about relentless, relentless. I yeah. mean, all people see are that he was a huge success. They don't know him like we all knew him yep. for 17, 20, 21 years. Grinding it out day after day, you know. Stephen King once said, you know, someone said, "What does it feel like to be so gifted and talented as a writer?" And he laughed and he said, "Trust me, anything that you do for ten hours a day for twenty-five years, you're going to be very gifted when you're finished." Yeah, well, and I yeah, love that. exactly. I Ex- like, Just relax, 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 relax. You'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah, you know, and J- and James, I didn't know that James had done the stuff he had done in the past. When I first met him a number of years ago, I thought, man, what a brilliant, he's an advertising guy. He came up with this concept, and that's interesting to hear. Well, he's been doing it for decades, you know, and that's the reason why. Decades. Yeah, that's the reason that's why right. he's so that's damn right. good at what he's doing. I know, and, you know, it's interesting. You talk. You mentioned talk about dreaming. It's one of the chapters we talk about is Ditch the Dream. It's, yeah. There are, and there's so many funny books. Well, you, you out there. tell I'm people sure to stop. You actually tell people to stop dreaming. I mean, that's one of your quotes. I, stop, I, I, you, I, you I pulled dreaming. it out. Stop dreaming. I loved it. Right. Yeah. Stop dreaming. You know, F.C. Lauder has a famous quote. He says, I never once dreamt of success. I just work for it. <laughs> uh, and there's another Yiddish saying, another Yiddish saying, if, if you want your dreams to become a reality, so wake up already. <laughs> but, but we think it's a great, you know, this, it's a little book, but it took a long time to write because we tried to get a lot of uh, research stuff and stories into it. There was research done recently at uh, NYU. They took graduates. So actually, my daughter goes to NYU now. And they, they followed them. They followed two groups. The one group they called the dreamers, the people who graduated and had all these incredibly lofty aspirations. I'm going to be a prize-winning novelist, I'm going to win an Emmy, and blah, 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 whatever. And then they had this other group that they called the plotters. The plotters were the people who graduated and said, well, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do, but I have to get my resume together, and tomorrow I'll make some cold calls. I think it might be an internship. And guess what? They followed these people for years, and the dreamers, like, Virtually none of them went anywhere. Never do it. Close to whatever they wanted. The plotters were incredibly successful. And so, you know, we just try to impress on people. And, you know, celebrate everyday victories. Don't don't worry about, you know, did did I win the Emmy Award yet? Worry about, gee, I need to, like, maybe rethink my outline. And maybe I need to rewrite it again. And, And maybe I need to make some more context because... You know, whatever it is, I need more paper for the for the printer. It's 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 those little things. And I know building a company, and you certainly know, so you know, uber successful in your life, right? Yep. It's when you start concentrating on the now, and saying, I need to do whatever I can do today to solve these small problems to make a better future. There's a very famous mathematician, George Polya, who said the biggest problem facing people in the world is that they try to solve problems that are too big. What you need to do is break your problem down, and I look at that in terms of a great goal. 
break it down into what is I need to do, what are the five or six things I need to do, make a list, and, and feel good. Have a glass yep. of wine when you I go, love it. Wow, I did those six things today, yeah. you know? Or a bottle of wine or some scotch. I'm going to do some scotch later today. A, yeah. a, a, scot- well, let a me, scotch. A you know, scotch. Can, can the it factor, what is the it factor? When you, I, I know what you're talking about, but what, how would you describe it? I mean, you, there are people that we meet. You and I have met them. We know them. And you walk up and you see they have the it factor. You, they've got something. Can, can what is that? First of all, and then I want to ask you: Can you get that? Because I think you can get it a little bit, can't, or maybe you can't. Let's talk about that. Well, the way that we define the it factor in book in our book is the way that the media typed it: like, just they were born brilliant. They mm-hmm. were born with this uh, incredible okay. physical power. Like, like people think about Michael Michael Jordan. Yeah. I think people who work for years, like you have, like I have, and so many incredibly successful people. I think you develop. The real it. That's what I thought. I was, One, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like from grit, you get it. You know, almost exactly. like that's in the word itself, the it factor. And so you kind of get that. I mean, people think, you know, and they look at, and sometimes I get this too, Linda. They think I'm an overnight success or something. I've been working my butt off to get like this, you know. You know, I mean, I, now I, I, I work really hard. Yeah, I work really hard. Now, I made my first million at 25, but but I was working hard. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I did three jobs during college. You know, those are the things you have to do to make it work, you know. Exactly. You know, the, the, the research that's coming out now is showing that actually people who had to do those three jobs in college, people who have had more challenging upbringings, whether they're dyslexic, whether they came from, you know, you know, average incomes or below average incomes, yeah. there is a certain edge, even in this research that was done by Angela Duckworth, who really has done a tremendous amount of research at the University of Pennsylvania about, about grit found almost an inverse proportion for people who have very high IQs and their ability to have be persistent and, and have stamina. Because what happens is, and you've seen this, you know, these incredibly brilliant kids that you went to high school with and, and everything was a breeze. Yeah. And then they get out into real life and it's like, oh my goodness, this is actually hard. And a lot of those people give up. And which is why you see that burnout factor of people who just always were told they're brilliant, they're talented. It only takes you so far up the ladder. And the rest of it is, of course, you know, as my old piano teacher used to say, it's, you know, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. There's a great quote we have in in the book about from Pablo Casals, he's one of the greatest cellists of all time. At 93 years of age, he was still practicing like three to five hours a day. And he was interviewed, and they said, Mr. Casals, why are you practicing four hours a day at 93 years of age? And you know what he says? He says, because I'm beginning to see some improvement. <laughs> you love that. Don't you love it? I love it. You love it. I love it. Hey, listen, I... Today, I'm talking with Linda Kaplan Thayer, and she's teaching us to stop dreaming and start working, and our friends at Dunkin' can help with that because they help me. My daily Dunkin' espresso, in fact, right now, I've got four espressos. i got four shots right now, and it gives me an extra kick I need in the morning, and I do another one in the afternoon. So don't forget your cup of Dunkin' to start your day off right, and all business with Jeffrey Hazlitt in America runs on Dunkin', and we're proud to bring you the tips and trips to put the hard work and reach and so that you can reach your highest potential. I, 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 another thing that you brought in the book, and I want to get into this, and you discuss our ADD culture and why the readers need to embrace boredom. Why the hell would you say something like that? 
so it's fascinating. We are an ABD culture. We want to do a million things at the same time, and we, unfortunately, we actually can. Uh, very few Americans, as you know, watch TV without a smartphone or a computer or a laptop or something with them. Uh, everybody wants to do so many things at once. We don't want ourselves to be bored for one blessed second. This is really, really detrimental, and this person who's creative person, which is, you know, my roots in, in writing music and writing, just writing in general, is that, you know, as we were writing a book, we're going, what is this? You know, I always seem to have my best ideas when I'm in the shower, when I'm walking down the street, when my mind is wandering. So, of course, uh, we, we spoke to tons of people. We looked at tons of research. I even spoke to uh, a friend of ours who's the uh, editor of the cartoons for The New Yorker, uh, Bobby Mancoff, very famous cartoonist. And I had a whole thing about, you know, the idea of being bored. And he said, you are your most creative when you're, you're allowing your mind to be totally bored. Because here's what happens. The mind is geared to solve problems. Happiness is not, not having problems in your life, which is why a lot of people who retire are unhappy. Happiness is the feeling you get when you solve a problem. So and, and as he talks about it, when we are when we have the absence of stuff that we're actually doing at that moment, we allow ourselves to turn off the phone, you know, stop listening to the music at that you know at that point, stop answering emails, stop texting, whatever it is, and your mind is just blank. All of a sudden the brain, the dentrites in the brain are making weird, wonderful, very unique kind of connections that you can't make when you're linear when you're doing your linear I'm doing this now I'm answering this now right. you can't do it when you're multitasking when you stop thinking the mind will all will fill up the vacuum with, with creating new patterns and and interestingly enough, some of the research shows that why, why do you have great ideas? I don't know about you, Jeffrey, but I have great ideas in the shower. Actually, there was a... <laughs> not in the shower. I don't do them in the shower. I do have great ideas, but not usually... And I'll tell you, mine are usually uh, when I'm on a plane or I'm just sitting there. And, and or, you're just sitting there. One of, or yeah, laying down, true. just laying down on the bed in the morning without anything to do. That's when I start thinking right. those things, yeah. Part of, part of what happens also in the shower when you're lying down is your blood flow increases. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, you're more creative when your blood flow is increasing because the, the, the brain is sort of using, just using more oxygen. And so when you're in the shower or you're relaxing and you're lying back, suddenly, or you're staring up at the sky, suddenly you have ideas that you never thought you'd have before. We don't let our kids get bored, which is really bad. I have a lot of things, a lot of negative things to say about you know, some of the ways that we've brought up our kids. Yeah. You know, we don't like them to be bored for a second. We also have brought our kids up in what's been called the, the self-esteem movement, and we're all familiar with that. Yep. Um, when I was a kid and when you were a kid, well, you know, yeah. if you didn't win the game, then guess what? You yeah. lost it. Hey, you My lost. My a big chess player. You yeah. lost. I'm sorry. That's yeah. it. You don't I, didn't well, I didn't get a trophy. I didn't get a trophy. You didn't get yeah. it. Yeah. No, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You know, when, uh, you know, the self-esteem movement came into being about uh, 15, 20 years ago, it was like, okay, there's no losers on the team. Everybody's a winner. Everybody has to be told yeah. it's a special, they're unique. We don't want to be a downer for anybody. So guess what? It was a total, unmitigated disaster. Yep. Because kids were being brought up thinking they were special. And it was a, we talk about in the book about a, a convention speech at, at a high school, a wealthy high school. I think it's in the Midwest. I'm not sure. And he said, regardless of what your Aunt B told you, he told me the graduating class, regardless of what your Aunt B told you or that cute purple monster, you're really not special. None yeah. of you are special. Yeah. 
Ten. Your not not every pretty. not every baby. I'd like to tell everybody right now is pretty. Some of them are ugly. They are absolutely. That's I, right. I've got a new grandbaby. Now she happens to be really gorgeous, but if she was ugly, I'd say that kid's ugly. But she's not. Now there. Are, but but I look at some other kids and I go, oh my god, have you been hit with the ugly stick? I don't say that out loud. You know, I don't want to be rude. And I'm sure they're pretty right. in their own mind, and they could be pretty in whatever. But but my, I, I'm with you. I don't think we should be giving kids, you know, accolades for doing their job. I don't think we should be, you know, giving kids, you know, right. accolades for, for losing. You, you need to pick yourself back up. You said this. Everyone suffers setbacks in their career and their life. The key, however, is to pick yourself up and bounce back. That's a quote from your book. Exactly. Look, we look at, uh, I talk about spelling is so important, right? I tried to teach my daughter how to ride a bicycle. For two years, I tried to teach her how to ride a bicycle. Can you imagine? I finally figured, you know, she may one day, you know, win the presidency, but she ain't going to win the Tour de France. And all due respect, hey, Linda, all due respect, I think I'd find her another coach. I mean, come on. You know? Really? No, I finally did. I was I was in Central Park, and, and you know, I, I, I could barely walk after a while. Well, you know what it was, Jeffrey? I kept holding on to the seat. Uh, I didn't want her to fall, so I was holding on the seat. And then yeah. I would let go, she fall. So this guy in his 70s, the cyclist, comes over, and he goes, uh, Mom, I think I think I can teach her how to ride. I said, no, I've been trying for two years now. So he says, let me do this. So he balances her on there, and he starts to give her a push. I said, what do I do? He said, oh, I forgot to tell you what you do. Yeah. He said, take your hands. I lift them up, and he goes, and put them in your pocket. I said, well, you don't understand. He said, no, you don't understand. Put them in your friggin' pocket. He pushes her. She falls. I run to pick her up. He says, put your hands in your pocket, Mom. Yeah. And by the third time, you know, she fell. Emily said to me, put your hands in your pocket. Anyway, the awesome. fourth time he pushed her. She kept riding and riding and riding. She became a great cyclist, figure skater, equestrian. And I always kid around and I say, I, I say that, you know, my daughter is a very well-rounded young woman at 20 years of age. And I like to say I've had a hand in her success, mostly because I've had the good sense to keep both of them in my pockets. But, you know, we just do not let anybody. James Dyson of the Dyson vacuum cleaner. Oh, yeah. A great example. Good example. Serial yep. failure. Right. Everybody thinks this is brilliant vacuum, this revolutionary vacuum. What people don't know is, it took him 15 years, 5,126 prototypes that totally sucked, or as I often say yeah. to people, didn't suck. Didn't and that suck. Was the yeah, they didn't suck. That was his problem. Didn't, yeah. They didn't suck. And he says, everybody looks at me like I'm this huge, like, overnight success. He said, I've been doing this for years and years and years. Oh, crazy stuff. Hey, let me, I got to take another break because I get paid for this. I mean, this okay. is good stuff. I love, and, you, and you know the power of a good ad, so I've got to, I'm, I don't want to screw this I one up. I certainly do. All right, this is from Liberty Tax. It's great to have the good folks from Liberty Tax on board, all business, and I do love these guys. Liberty's the fastest growing retail tax preparation firm with over 4,000 offices across North America. It's a great seasonal franchise opportunity, too. So, hey, you know, think about, you know, doing something like this when, you know, in the off season for some of you. So if you're looking to get into business, add another service to your business, or just need great tax prep services, look at Liberty. Hey, do you do your own taxes, Linda? No, I do not. Yeah. Your, your husband, how about your husband? He's, maybe, he, he, maybe he doesn't do that. Because he's, he, he's in the music no, business, right? You know, there's no way he's, he's touching it. He's in the music business. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. no. But we're he's... from the Bronx. We watch, we watch every penny. Like yeah. You. Well, like, <laughs> all, like all of us. I mean, you got, <laughs> hey, the way to get a lot of, to make a small fortune is to save one. I mean, that's what you got to be able to do. Yeah, you know, I used to tell our kids because we live, you know, on Fifth Avenue that uh, that um, uh, uh, S.A.O. Schwartz, yep. I used to tell my kids, because somebody else used to do this, I used to tell my kids it was a toy museum, meaning that you can look <laughs> at the toys, 
but you can't touch them or take them out of the store. And so they grew up knowing that, you know, and also any shop on Madison Avenue was a dress museum. So yeah. one day I, we see a kid walking out of the store with a big, you know, with a Barbie, whatever. My mother, my daughter starts to cry. She's stealing the Barbie from the museum. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's great. That's good. You are an evil parent. No, I'm just teasing. But you, evil, you, you evil, know, speaking of, speaking of toys, you came up with the famous advertising slogan for Toys R Us, didn't you? Well, I Jim Patter, James Patterson and my art director, Dina Vesey, came up with this fabulous line, I don't want to grow up in a Toys R Us kid, and I said to them, it's got to be a jingle that yep. every kid can sing. And we, we farmed it out for demos, and nobody liked anything, and I had written this song that I thought was terrible, but my art director kept singing it, and I was too embarrassed to play it for, for Jim or the client. And finally, after two weeks, my art director said, I cannot get this stupid song out of my head. So I sat with the client, and I said, okay, well, you didn't like anything else, but what do you think about this? I don't want to grow up on the Toys R Us kid. And I proceeded to sing it on my little Casio player. Yep. I said, you've got to imagine a lot of kids singing it. And uh, they tested with little five-year-olds, and they loved it. And uh, it's the longest-running jingle in American history. And those little kids that I shot in that commercial are probably grandparents now. <laughs> uh, so think about what. There's some other ones. That, I mean, some really iconic ones, like Kodak moments is one. I remember the. You remember the first time we met? Yeah. yeah I, do you remember that? I I'm trying to remember whether it was it was on the Jingle Show, right? It was. It was on the was set of the, the show Jingles that we were both. Uh, That's you were right. you were a judge. I was going to be a judge, and I never made it to air, unfortunately. But uh, although they taped all eight episodes, I remember that they did. He, yes, yes, but, and I, I actually saw some of the ones that were that CBS has never brought out. They, it was a good show. I'm sorry yeah, that it didn't yeah. happen, but yeah, that's when we met each other. Yeah, but that's you know, right. some that, that's a good point because most people would have thought we'd have met before then because I was in almost like my fourth year, about to leave uh, Kodak. Um, I knew I was right. leaving at the time, and then you and I met, and yet your agency had been doing work for us for a number of years. And, and here I am, yes, the chief marketing it. officer of the company, spending literally millions of dollars with you. But I, you and I had never right. met. I mean, to me, I think that's kind no, of an interesting we, piece, isn't it? Yeah, our pants just didn't. It was very weird because yeah. I had worked on Kodak in its heyday in the 80s, um, you know, when everybody was taking pictures of the babies. It was the boomer generation oh. and everybody was having kids. And, and we started noticing that people on TV were calling because we had very emotional, as you remember, tear-jerking oh, yeah. kind of oh, tear advertising. And, and we were, somebody was watching Johnny Carson one night, and a celebrity said, my daughter took her first step. It was like a real Kodak moment. Now, you have to remember, the word, that phrase was not used by us. It was used by a consumer, which is the best type of advertising. Absolutely. Somebody, they own it. So yep. we went back and went, hell, we better make a campaign called Kodak Moments because that's what they are. And and then uh, we we when I started my company uh, many, many years later, we started doing some photo, uh, I think it was the Kodak copier machines, and we yep. started doing some uh, ad, ad, you know, long, long format. Well, and then you did our, our inkjet. No. Yeah, the inkjet yeah. business was, well, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean. I meant the inkjet, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, the yeah, inkjet, the inkjet business, right. and of course, <laughs> that we, we were hugely successful with that, and we and we got you to do some infomercials for us, which was the very first time a major corporation had ever done an infomercial. I mean that, yes, and, and, and we, we and we won. We yeah. won huge amounts of awards for those campaigns, by the way. Yes, we we uh, we felt that we could do one, and, and you guys were very afraid of, you know, what are they going to do to the brand image yep. of, of 
doing an infomercial, and we said we're going to make this highly entertaining. We got Carolyn Rhea, we got a comedian oh, to do I it, and we wrote original music for it. And and they, and I think they even took it off the air for a while because it was selling. It was so sold, we sold so much. That, no, no, we couldn't keep up. We could not. So much, right? We could not keep up with production. <laughs> we could not. We were actually end up flying. Uh, uh, the the items were made in in China. We were actually bringing them over by plane, which is very expensive in order to fulfill the orders that we were having, oh, which is a huge God. problem. Huge problem. So let me. But there's some All couple right. other ones that you've done. Like yes, 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 by Herbal Essence. How, where did you oh Where goodness. did you get the inspiration for that one? That's what I want. Okay. Well, you know, you kind of dig. You dig very deep, right? It's such an intellectual business. We're just yeah. kidding. Yeah. Uh, well, come on. You've you've had some. Go. I mean, Affleck. I love Affleck. You did that one too. Affleck. Yeah. And we did. Well, the Urban Lessons is funny because we. Uh, we were in this situation where Herbal Essences, which is a brand in the 70s, and here it was in the 90s, and it was about to be de-shelved mm-hmm. for everybody out there. It was about to be gone as a product. And uh, I, I went to, I had had some other Claro business, and they only had $10 million in media, which is nothing in the hair care. It's, it's a small, it's a small amount for consumer, yeah. A small amount. I said, you need to give it to charity. We do something crazy. And, and you know, you know how it is. when It's so great when somebody's really desperate because they'll let you do something that's really disruptive and, and nuts. And, ha- and I was looking for, well, the product really smells good. And let's not talk about the end benefit of shiny hair because that's what everybody else does. And how do we, how do we be intrusive? And, I said, well, maybe we need a celebrity. And some, we said, well, maybe Meg Ryan. She's just done Harry Met Sally. And then we all started laughing about the scene in the restaurant where she fakes the orgasm. Oh, yeah. And I said, that's it. She will have an orgasmic experience in the shower. And then the person at home watching will go, gee, I wish I had the shampoo that she's using. Yeah, I need, so, I need that shower. <laughs> Rissa Meyer Squibb, who owned Claro at the time, uh, eventually was sold to Dr. Gable. They were so desperate, Jeffrey. Can I tell you? I mean, it was all men that I had to present to. And they were like, but then they said, you have to test it. And it tested. It broke every ARS. You know, as you know, ARS, big, big testing. It broke every, they even called, they called me at home and they said, we thought we did the test wrong because we've never gotten a result like this. So good. They completely sold out and then Procter Gamble was wisely bought the company and that's how we started our agency with that business. And then, you know, as a very young company, uh, we get a call from somebody in Columbus, Georgia about pitching this little known insurance company that I'd never heard of called Aflac. They actually were a Fortune 100 company with 3% awareness and they had spent $100 million in doing advertising. So I said, there's something, you're, you're not doing the right advertising, obviously. And they gave us all this research about they wanted really emotional ads. And they, they, they wanted to tell people about, you know, what the, the cancer insurance and the catastrophic, it was, it's gap insurance, you know, if, if your other insurance, it, it doesn't fill what it's supposed to do. But I had the good sense take the CEO side, Dan Amos, really wonderful man, and it, said, it, it, Dan... Family-run company, by the way, too. I mean, they... The, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's brilliant, and, and as nice as he is brilliant and philanthropic. And I said, Dan, putting the research aside, and this is part of grit, is, you know, using your initiative, and I said, what, what keeps you up at night? And he said to me, Linda, I am embarrassed that my own relatives cannot remember the name of my company. I don't care if you show a, ta- a naked man tap dancing on the roof, if you can find a way for America to name the company. So I kept saying to people, 
at when we were pitching it. I said, you got to get people to remember the name, and they couldn't. Nobody could remember the name. You know, it's an acronym. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah, right. So I kept saying Affleck, 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 and then somebody pinched my nose. We're a very informal company. Yeah. And he said, say that again, and I go Affleck. He said, okay, you know, this Linda, this sounds crazy, but you sound like a duck quacking. I said, that's it, guys. That is how America is. And now I say they became. They went from three percent to ninety-six percent awareness. Right? And, and now, and, 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 and how many decades have you been using that now? It's got to be at least twenty years, right? Yeah, uh, it's at least. It's I think fifteen or sixteen years. Yeah. And I now yeah. say that it's so. Affleck is so well known that when ducks see other ducks. They immediately think of supplemental insurance. <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only they had a, an insurance card, that, that would be great. You know, I and I gotta be, be honest, I gotta it tell you, when great. I first saw it, I thought that's crazy, but it's brilliant. I, and I did, I you know, because I look at campaigns <laughs> like that. You know, we you do the same thing. We look at right, other people's yeah, work, and I thought, God, that's just that's ridiculous. Why would you Why would you associate a duck with healthcare, like quacks? And that's then right. and then boom. It's and then everybody and then you used to hear everybody say it and then you picked one of the most obnoxious people for the voice as I recall right yes Gilbert, yes, Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey yeah I mean yeah, fact. <laughs> I mean uh, but it stuck it stuck and at the point where everybody it just was so cool it was so cool do, do you know you do you know much. when when the grit piece like that makes it the it factor for you do you have that? Is it a feeling, or is it is it something you can measure, or do you know? Well, what we tell people is to not expect something to happen like overnight. That that's the biggest yeah. problem we have in this culture is this sense of I've got to be an overnight success. We watch the bigger biggest loser. We see somebody lose forty pounds between commercial breaks, but what we don't see is the fine print. And you know, you've done yeah. a lot of reality TV. The fine print that says it took them a year and a half with diet and exercise. Yeah. Nobody wants to see the hard stuff that goes into it because it's not pleasant. We even have a chapter we call "Get Into Weight Training" and we spell weight. W-A-I-T. The <laughs> biggest problem yeah. that stops people from, you know, getting their grit on to getting, you know, what you call the, 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 the it factor is that they just don't want to put in the time and effort necessary. So what we give in the book is lots and lots of tips of how to not get distracted, keep your eye on the ball. You know, George Lucas, somebody asked him, you know, why is he such a remarkable director and Star Wars and all these great things he's done. How's he able to do it? And he said, it's really not talent or brains. He said, I do something differently than most every other person I know. When I decide I'm going to make a movie, I make the movie. He said, it could take me 20 years, but I actually finish, and we tell people, finish what you start. Yeah, I love Whatever it is, find a way to finish it. Linda, you know, I I was recently at a media lab for uh, speakers. that, that wanted to get into television, you know, because I've, you know, had the show on Bloomberg, this show and others. And, and I said, look, let me be clear to most of you sitting in this room. You want to do what I do, but you won't do what I have to do to get here. Yeah. That, which is what you're saying. I mean, they, it's like the dreamers. Exactly. They dream about it, but they, it's, it's, hard, it's hard work. You know why it's called hard work? Because it's freaking hard. And 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 you and you're gonna have to do it to get it done. And most people, they just won't do it. Cause I'll guarantee you, Linda, you're running a billion-dollar company today. I'll guarantee you, you go in the office on the weekends. I'll guarantee you, you're there till I, I know this because I've called you at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Right. That's right. Yeah. But but you know what? But part of it, and and Jeffrey, and you know this better than anybody. If you don't have the passion, yeah, it 
it's not going to happen because you're not going to get anybody to work that hard unless they're passionate. So we tell people, you know, just don't like something. Find something you love. Go after it. Be passionate about it. And, and you know, it won't feel so hard. And it will find you. Be, it, it'll find you. It will it will find you. It will find you. I, I certainly I, I certainly know that happened to me, and I, and I know that happened to you. Yeah. It's amazing. Let me ask you some quick questions. Rapid fire. So buckle up. Buckle up. Oh, okay. Okay, here we go. Tighten up. Here we okay. go. Okay. Of all the jingles that you've done, what's your favorite one? I do think it's uh, the Toys R Us song. I don't want to grow up from Toys R Us. Is that because it was your I first one? Was that your very first? Uh, no, no. I did it for, I worked on jingles for years. Uh, no, because I've always wanted to write a children's song. I used to write children's songs before I got into writing jingles. That's what well, you, I did. You've got a master's and degree in music, too. I mean, I, I do, yeah. I do, and I and uh, knowing that kids were singing my song was it was the high point of my life in my advertising career for yeah. sure. What what advice would you give to your younger self? Don't be so nervous. Yeah, don't good. be so concerned with what everybody's going to be thinking. And by the way, just take the example from Jeff Bezos and ask. If you're not sure what to do, don't talk to your friends. Either do something that's easy or comfortable. Talk to your 90-year-old self. And if I had a conversation with my 90-year-old self, my 90-year-old self would have had me start my own company years earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, You know, I read a quote from Helen Mirren yesterday. She said, that somebody asked her, what would you tell your younger self? She said, I would use fuck off more often. <laughs> There's a great quote. Yes. There's a great quote from Oscar Wilde. I think it's Oscar Wilde. He said, always be yourself because hey, everybody else is taken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, what's your (laughs) what's your favorite junk food? My favorite what? Junk food. Oh, my favorite junk food. That's a that's a really good one. I love those little dove bars. The tiny ones. So I don't think I have that many calories, but I just get that sugar fix. Are they one of your accounts? Let me, I'm going to ask that. The ice cream, the ice cream dump ones. Yeah. The little ice cream dump ones. Oh, those are good, aren't they? I like anything with bacon. Oh, great. Bacon. I love bacon. Gosh. Oh, bacon. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if you, if, if, uh, who would you want to be stranded on a desert island with? Woody Allen. Oh, uh, would you really? Oh, Really? Yeah, he's still in my building, actually. I just think he's a genius. Um, if I've read every single thing this man has ever written, every New Yorker piece, every book, every play, it doesn't matter. I think the way that he combines disparate ideas to create humor, you know, like uh, one of his favorite lines, you think God is difficult to reach, try getting a plumber on a Sunday. I mean, get to me is, I mean, it doesn't get better than that, right? You know, it's, that is true. I got to tell you, though, I find him, <laughs> in, I, I, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of his, but, you know, yeah, you're open, you open up my eyes. I, I've always found him somewhat annoying, but maybe I need to look deeper. I just haven't found it yet. <laughs> hey, what was, the, what was the last book you read? Oh, the last book that I read that yeah. had an impact on me was uh, oh Jesus, what's the name of this book? It's the um, the one about the, the the little the painting, uh, the little bird in the painting. It's been the bestseller list for a million years. Oh my goodness, uh, I don't even know which one that one is. I don't know. Oh my goodness, See? this is a this is a round where I have to know the goldfinch. The goldfinch. Oh ah, wow, it. it's a brilliant. I'm, 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 I'm going to write it down because no, I I'm not on my list. I you know I tend to read just business books. I or I like old historical books. I like like you know like the books about the kings and queen of of England oh, things yeah. like that. I love to read 
Yeah. You know, but they're they're real true books. You know, they're they're nonfiction. I like that stuff. Well, anyway, none of it. Well, I, love, I also love anything by Walter Isaacson. You know, the uh, the Einstein biography mm-hmm. and the Steve Jobs biography. He's just great. I'm reading the one yeah, on, on on Salk right now. Uh, Jonas Salk. Oh. oh, that's really good. I, a friend of mine there oh, in Connecticut okay. recommended it. Anyway, that's a good. What? Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, you inspire me. Wow, um, that's I, nice. I of think you. people that are friends that have done that are doing incredible things inspire me every day. Uh, I am inspired by James Patterson. You know, he's a friend and just and just in awe of what he's accomplished. Yeah. Uh, and I'm inspired by my business partner Robin, who I write all my books with, who is now at uh, the Truth Initiative. Isn't she doing some where, great work there? She's really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Truth the Truth Initiative, which used to be called Legacy, is was funded by the big tobacco companies when they lost all their lawsuits about killing all those people millions of people and so they do the great work of advertising and marketing to stop teenagers and people from smoking and I'm, I'm just so in awe of what she's doing yeah. uh, now so she's, she's, she's a big hero. Was that a big surprise for you for her to pick up and go and do that? I mean you guys were business yeah, partners for you know, so long. You guys were I mean how many years? So long, I yeah. know. How many years were you oh, partners? Oh my goodness like 16 years you know yeah. and four books uh, mm-hmm. I know I was I was I, I was surprised and delighted. She was a former smoker herself, and she said, "Linda, you know it's time for me to save some lives." And so, good for her. She's the oh, best. That's awesome. All right, last I, last yeah. last big one here is who's your favorite band or singer? Because you're in the music. Oh, that's so fascinating. I have to tell you that my favorite musician composer is my husband Fred Taylor. Uh, he has done. He has been a musical director for just every major person you can imagine, uh, Cher and and um, Bette Midler and uh, Take Six and uh, Manhattan Transfer and Tony Bennett. I mean, everybody. He's, he's done awesome. some big ones. I'll uh, tell you he, that. He, yeah. he did. He did the Buddy Holly story. He's actually in the Buddy Holly story. He did uh, some of the arranging for that. He's, he's just on he's TV in it. We'll he's actually it. in the movie. Yeah. He, he plays the band leader. Yeah, exactly. I had we to. We, we had dinner one night, and I remember him, he told me that I went back and and That's watched right. that movie to watch for him, it's just to see him. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome. And of course, he had to he had to be with Gary Busey, which we both know in itself was uh, he should have got an Academy Award or something like that for that. Just just to be. Yeah, with. yeah. Oh. He was intense. Yeah. Hey, I want to give you a, a, just a moment for uh, any kind of. And by the way, I love your husband. Um, you know, we have only had a chance to meet him once. That one time we had dinner, but oh, we had such a great we time. We love your wife too. Yeah, well, yep. she's uh, well. If it weren't for my wife, no one would ever go out with me. So that's I'm I'm happy about that. So <laughs> it gives me a great chance to meet other people. Hey, uh, shameless plug. You can give any shameless plug you'd like to give. What would you like to do? Well, I would like to tell everybody and their kids. To, to read our book, yeah. uh, Grit to Great, uh, because I believe that the stories will inspire people uh, and will motivate people to do their very best, to know that anything is possible. We're very proud to say that last week uh, we were Amazon's number one hot pick in uh, business and motivational books, and we were thrilled um, with the response so far. And so just go out there and get gritty, everybody. And if you go on to Grit com onto our website. You can take a grit quiz and find out how gritty you are, and hopefully people will do better than I did on it. 
Well, I tell you what, it's just awesome. You, you're the author now of four books. Don't forget, Bang, Getting Your Message Heard in a Noisy World, The Power of Nice, which that was the first time I got to know you, How to Conquer the Business World with Kindness. And I just thought that was great. And then you follow up, The Power of Small, Why Little Things Make All the Difference. And now, another bestseller right here, uh, Grit to Great, and how perseverance, passion, and pluck, I love that, pluck, can take you from ordinary to extraordinary, and you are extraordinary. You and Robin have done it again, 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 and again. It's just, it's great to be able to see um, you guys succeed, and, and congratulations on the new book. Well, Jeff, thank you, and congratulations on your amazing book, which came out the exact same day. As With same day, we've been, we, and we have been rising the tops of the charts, and and uh, we just got announced that we went to a second printing on the book, and so we're excited. So just everything. Oh, we're, that's fabulous. You know, that's good great. things, great, th- grit, gritty, grit things happen to grit people. That's what we should say. There we go. <laughs> that's right. Yes, you go. Hey, we'll talk Thank to you again so soon. Much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, we're all set. Thanks so much. Oh, great. Thank you. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, you know, at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things that I learned from this interview. Boy, and I learned it's hard work, and it's supposed to be hard work, and you're supposed to do the things you need to do to get ahead, and I'm constantly amazed that people think that luck is always the reason, and I always tell people, as you know in my book, Think Big, Act Bigger, it's the relentless, and Linda is an example of that every single day. I love the saying that she said, and I quote from her book, stop dreaming, get off your ass and make it happen. And I, I just think that is just, it sums it up. You know, the best people in the world don't have it. They make it. And they use grit to get it done. What was that Yiddish saying? She said, wake up uh, from dreaming. Make your dreams become a reality. Wake up already. I think I'm kind of screw it up a little bit. But there, you, you know what I'm talking about. Make it happen. Make it happen. And, and do that by stop dreaming about it and start doing it. That's how you get and use the grit. And I loved it, and I love this book, and I love that she came on and talked about it. So, hey, get out there, make your grit happen, uh, put on your gritty clothes and your gritty attitude and your, and your gritty mind and make, make grit to great. I love that. All right, everybody, this has been Jeffrey Hazlett with All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on Play.it. Don't forget, tell your friends. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.